listening to Confessing Animals with Jen Harris and Vanessa Arrigo. Rebel poets, real rebels, really talking poets, rebelling and listening, listening. Don't interrupt me. Absolutely. Welcome to the Confessing Animals podcast. (laughs) I'm Jen Harris. And I'm Vanessa Arrigo. And we're still working out how to do introductions, but we're super grateful that you're here today. We have been blessed by Melissa Ferrer Civil, formerly known as Missy T. Ferrari, and she belongs to no place in particular, but she lives in Kansas City, and her home is in the spirit. She is a renegade with hippie tendencies. Her spoken word poems and songs are mostly meditations and responses to the world around her and her own internal journey. Through poetry, music, space holding, and workshop facilitation, she seeks to provide a sense of solidarity to all people, encourage people to act unto peace and love, and foster community among both the like and unlike-minded people. Recently, Melissa's been yearning to set down her ego and replace it with a jubilation of the spirit. She wants you to join in in whatever capacity you can. She wants you to listen and respond. Dear lover, my dear friend, can we sit here for a minute and just be like a crack in a cage, like a bird that no longer needs to rage? Can our hearts melt together without using our hands? Can we sing or dance to no tune or melody, but the one we swoon to while listening to the silence in each other's eyes? Can we do away with lies for but a moment and possibly the next? Can we just confess already with or without our hearts sinking? Can we say how we truly feel and begin with what's more real? To live in the knowing that we are held by another human being, no matter where this journey may take us. Can we just be us for but a second more and every second after? knowing that we are fully loved and adored by someone with hands that don't need to be held just to know. But can we hold hands anyway, just just because it's warmer that way? Can we not doubt our sweetness or ability to become like water for one another? We don't have to be the sunlight, always shining, just a little water that thrives in the night or day, supporting each other's lives. Can we live this way for a while? And should there be a child that arrives in the midst of us, can we trust that together we can raise it, whether inner or the one in new skin? Can we not let anger win or fear or doubt, guilt, shame, anything we wish were not really there? Can we make a habit of realizing our dreams, even this one, where the light of the sun is what manifests between this water flowing from our chest? Can we rest in each other's arms in the embrace of a simple knowing smirk and a glance at the right time? Can we take our time to know each other's bodies after we've identified the bars of this cage and allowed the waters of our love to race through into one another? Can we know each other biblically, holy, inside and out? Does this make sense? Do you know what I mean? If you do. I may just be talking to you.
Good morning, Melissa Ferrer Civil. I'm so happy to see you today. <laughs> Hi. Hi, how are you doing? Hey. Oh, so great. I was I started this day crying. You were crying this morning? Yeah, I um the quick rehash is that I um excited about going on a date with somebody who just has a lot of baggage that I wasn't anticipating. I felt really connected to this person really immediately. And I don't want to disregard that, but I feel like the universe keeps kicking the shit out of me by saying like, well, you can sort of have what you want, but you can never really have a whole person. You can never, you can only be the person that has spent the time alone, hermiting, developing, growing, shedding, evolving, but you're never going to meet that person. So. That's where we are right now. Welcome to Confessing Animals podcast. <laughs> Can I say something about that real quick, though? Yeah, by all, this is a conversation okay. to just keep start, jump in, and let's go. Okay, okay, cool. So I uh, I live your life uh, in the sense of saying I've never been in a romantic relationship, and Great. I'm 29 years old. <laughs> but no, I've been in I, I've 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 been in that situation in the sense of saying like consistently meeting people who are like my soulmates, but like friends um, and not mine, you know, in a sense of saying like not someone who will sleep with me at night in all versions of the word. And so <laughs> of the phrase, but the my per- I would like to offer my perspective on it if I can. I, I am here for it, babe. Okay. So glad Okay. So my perspective is I am, as I'm learning to love myself, all these people around me are teaching me all of the things that I deserve. They're, they're preparing my heart to first accept myself in totality. And then by the time, cause it's not that, cause I used to believe like, yeah, maybe I'm meant to be this like cool artist, lonely at night, like you know, like I literally. Have, oh, I'm just so brilliant. I yeah. can't have a partner. There is literally, no equal. Literally, I was for me. It was like for me. It was like, oh, I'm too holy. I'm too holy to have a partner. God doesn't want the holy ones to. Anyway, some bullshit. Some bullshit. Right. But what? But my perspective on the whole matter is, I'm super grateful for all of the people in my life, and I know you are too. But not only because of who they are and the actual beauty that they like just admit so effortlessly, but they are shaping what love looks like for me. It's such a big subject. And I think that it, I think it might have, I'm curious if it came up today because specifically of you, Melissa, like I, because you are, you are such an ethereal, spiritual, love-based being we don't recognize how complicit we are in objectification, right? Like we do it all the fucking time. We objectify all the time. Anytime you have an ideal of someone or a standard and you're like, you should, anytime you should on someone, you're not acknowledging them for where they are. Right. So should on someone instead of should on someone. Yeah. Yeah. That's going to be the title of this episode. (laughs) Shitting on people. Shitting on people. Shitting on people. Shitting on people. But yeah. So, and if I can tie this really quickly into what I know the team yeah. is, the team is because like this is like what this is like what I'm what I think of every time I hear translation, right? Because what we're talking about is translation. What we're talking yeah. about is like is like because so before uh, like I love looking up the etymology of words. Like I have a whole history with translation, which was really funny that you reached out for me for this because like you know I don't know if you know my double major is creative writing in Italian, so like linguistics is like a whole anyway. 
So, um, but, <laughs> but uh, I looked up the etymological definition of the word uh, at some point this morning, and it just means to move from one place to another, right? So, so to take to like kind of like translocate, it's that's it's the same thing of like translate, mm. and then it also is a obviously like from one tongue to another, you know. Um, but like. But what we're doing in communication is a form of translation, right? Mm -hmm. Because what we're doing is like, like we speak, each person on this earth speaks an individual language unto themselves and God, right? Like, like it is, it is, we have, and most times we don't, we're foreign to our own language, right? But like, but we have one. And so when we're connecting and communicating, we are actually translating through compassion and understanding and heart, like, you know, like by opening our heart and like trusting trusting in the best and faith, like faith is a huge thing that is practiced every day, but no one knows they're practicing it, right? Because anytime you don't know something, but choose to listen to someone else to hear it, that's, that's an exercising of your faith, right? That that person mm-hmm. will have an answer for you, right? Um, so, and, and like receiving it well, like, and just like a whole thing. So like, so, so, so translation is what we're calling for, right? Whenever we have a whenever like what we have a deep need for whenever we have a miscommunication something has not been translated correctly mm. something has not went from this body to your body and your way of hearing from my way of expressing to your way of hearing correctly and thus and thus it needs to be we need to work on our translation right That's, well and correctly right. is is relative to intentionality right if you're correctly yeah. is that your impact mm-hmm. was was in alignment with your intention exactly and nothing more than that you know and exactly. nothing less than that that's the I think you make incredibly valid points and I love your insight as a person because it's just, there's something in you, Melissa, that is old and wise and universal. And it's just, it radiates across dimensions. It radiates across time. I know this about you from being in your presence. I know this about you from, from hearing your work, from hearing you perform, from seeing what you can create in 10 minutes, like I know you are a conduit for truth. And I think that that is, it makes you such an incredibly unique individual in this world that like, I mean, I want partnership that will make you the happiest you can ever be. And then I try to think if I've ever met anybody I think deserves to be with you. And I'm like, no, there ain't a bitch in this world that I've met so far that I'm like, send them to Melissa. But I hope all my friends have that thought in their head. Like I, by expressing my desire for love, I hope all my friends are like, yeah, Melissa does want to be, oh, this person will be perfect. And then they send them. It's <laughs> a good segue into your book, Melissa. So yes. I, I kind of want to set this up. So Birthing Pains is your first book. Um, it's uh, kind of described as like this apocalyptic chapbook co- collection of poems and essays written during this period of 2020, right? You've mm-hmm. been trying to do a lot of grounding. What the fuck is going on 2020? Mm-hmm. Um, and it's a reckoning. Um, and so I, I got a, it's like black liberation and sustainable peace. And this is just kind of how I've, I've framed it. Um, but you, you open the, this book with like this anecdote about a horse the TV show, This Is Us, and like Fred Rogers. So can you set that up for us and like how that leads us into your work? Okay. Yeah, I do tell that. how all of those things have anything in common. Because <laughs> <laughs> I'm still waiting on your book, but I only bought it a couple days yes, ago. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> 
Yeah. So, okay. So I got to set it up further in the sense of saying before I wrote this book, I went through a week of depression, like deep lament, not just depression. It was uh, because I think depression is when we don't know what's happening, but this was deep lament because I was doing a small, I don't need to do like these deep dives that people do that get wrapped up in the conspiracy, but I did a small peeking into the whole like child sex trafficking thing and just like all this stuff. And that sent me into a friggin' torrential, like I was literally like me and God, we like, we, we go fit. I fight with God. And like, and I was just like, are you even real? Cause what the fuck is this? You want yeah. me to forgive? Like, like you know what right. I mean? And like, and so, and so it was a week of that. And this is us is actually part of my spiritual practice. So uh, my spiritual practice is not one that you find on TV. It's not one that you find in a book. It's like, it's, it's one that is for me in the sense of saying like, uh, it's what it's, it's, it's a gentle way for me to, to uncover who God is um, while acknowledging that I am flawed in the sense that I have been traumatized over and over again. And so it's working through those traumas, not attacking them, but but bringing the love that they need to them in order for them to heal, right? So mm-hmm. Netflix is a big part of that. And um, <laughs> and Hulu and, and, and I have this like strict fi- filter on what I watch or what I listen to because I uh, am in the, in the business of creating a whole new world. And so I don't watch or listen to things that, I don't want to exist in this whole new world because then they will exist in me and that will go into like what I'm creating. And like, and I don't, I don't do that. So, so part of that, like, this is us is one of those things that very easily make it through my filter because they do this thing where they just show life in humility. It's not sensationalized like most American, um, because the other thing I watch very profusely is Asian things like anime and Asian dramas um, because of the, like I, anime is not so subtle, but it's cartoon. So like it has its own subtlety just in that. But like, but like, but like dramas, they, the Asian dramas, they all operate on this subtlety. Like in an Asian drama, it will take 15 episodes for the two lovers to touch hands and never has my heart jumped out of my chest for two hands, like grazing, like, like you know, but like, but what's so important there is something that is often missed in our society as a whole, which is these tiny moment by moment miracles and blessing that are just raining effortlessly and endlessly into our lives, right? And this is us, does this thing where it captures those moments. It's like teasing out and captures just the moments of love and like unity and family. And is there conflict? Yes. Does it have to be this huge sensationalized thing for you to acknowledge conflict? No. Why? Because they're not doing any fake it. Right. I feel like those people who who all are casted into this is us are the people that they are. And this is, you know what I mean? Like, like, and so, so for me, um, I love this is us. So I was watching this is us that week. And I fit I had finished up with the final episode of what was available on Hulu at the time. 
And it, and there was this scene where this little girl comes out and she's like, and, and her dad's like trying to tame this horse. This horse is like bucking and neighing and rah, rah, rah. And the dad is like, you could tell the dad's about to give up, but he's getting like hopeless. And she, and I think she even makes a joke or something. I don't know, but I, I, I hear, oh, I remember the first time I tried to ride a horse or something. Like, I just hear that. I don't know if that was actually said, but I would have said it anyway. So, <laughs> so she makes this joke and then she goes in and she just starts petting the horse and she's like, Hey, it's fine. And like real soft, like so soft that like it reached to my heart and I'm just like, Oh yeah, it is fine. Yep. Mm-hmm, it's fine. And then, and then like, you know how the, I don't know if you've ever seen this as us, but they do these like montage things where it's like not linear right they're always showing what's happening in different places and sometimes they'll invite new characters in and you don't know how they're tied into the whole story yet until later and like and so you'll see little bits and pieces of a scene over the course of a of an episode right and so basically the overall scene was like so like you know she's like it's okay it's okay they cut and then they cut back and she and she's standing in the middle and she's holding on to the reins and the horse is just running in circles around her right the horse Mm. is just running in circles around her and and she says you know this horse has lived in a stable with three other horses his whole life and this is his first time in freedom he doesn't even like you and she's like you're ready to give up on him but he hasn't even had a chance to be himself yet you know and that's Mm -hmm. like and like and so i she said that all of a sudden, like that, that episode ended, the, the clouds of my inner storm parted and it was clear skies. I got up and the desk I'm sitting at right now, I sat down and started typing out that first essay. And it was mm-hmm. the first time that I started typing and I knew the whole book was done in my heart, even as I was writing the first essay, right? That night I wrote that essay and I curated about seven of the poems in it. And then, and then it was a few weeks later that I finished the book, right? Like maybe a month or so that last essay was something to get through anyway i had to go to a whole other city to write that one anyway so but but so so that's just what was presently on my mind but the way that like over time it has revealed itself right oh and then fred Ro- okay just to include fred rogers real quick so one Fred Rogers is one of my heroes. Um, he, the man was an actual saint, like an actual, like I call him patron saint Fred Rogers. I think I say as much in the book. I, he, that man was, ooh, I love Fred Rogers. I could cry right now just thinking about that man. If you haven't seen the documentary, you should see it. Anyway. Oh, I, I cried very hard in, in the Alamo Draft House after oh seeing that. Oh my God, documentary. so did I, in the I Alamo mean, Draft during House. It, <laughs> during it, after it, I just yeah. was like, Oh my God, you were such a good person. Yes, yes. Is he oh. the last authentically good person? I, I refuse to believe that. I don't believe in last authentic. I believe I believe in last evil people. I don't believe in last authentic people. Is he just the last authentic nice person we allowed on television? Because mm. our, our programming has uh, really focused on the not so great. Yeah. We aren't glorifying uh, vulnerable whole people who are trying to do good work. So no, it's, it's the desperate of- housewives and the fighting and the, um, yeah, the it's negative. Bravo Nation. Right. Yeah. We yeah. went from Fred Rogers to, yeah, okay, go ahead. Sorry, Andy. No, 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 no. I mean, I hear it. And what, but what's great to know about Fred Rogers is when I was a fifth grade teacher last year, uh, we have, we had breakfast in the classroom and we, it used to be, they would just hang out. And then one day I was like, 
I'm gonna turn on Fred Rogers. And like, and so we watched Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood. And at first, you know, the kids of the 21st century were like, what is this? Like, this is stupid. But then like within the second week, there would be like, Miss Avila, are we watching Mr. Rogers today? Right? Because it's Fred Rogers is timeless, right? Like Fred, care is timeless. Compassion and consideration is timeless, you know? And a child can acknowledge when someone actually cares. And they want that, right? And they want that in such a subliminal, inherent way that they don't even know that's why, right? And, and the they, beauty, it's not immediate. They're so exactly. bombarded with immediacy right now. And it took them a exactly. little while to get into it. But once it grooved its way in, they were like, yes, this is where I want to rest. Exactly, exactly. And, it, and that's actually what helps to undo all the bullshit, right? The one conflict, the one public conflict that, like the news media could get to Fred Rogers because they'll do that shit uh, on was they try to say that he was responsible for raising a nation of entitled adults who believed mm. that they were inherently worthy without having to work for it. <laughs> and I mean, fuck yes, Fred Rogers. Um, and so uh, in defense of himself uh, later on um, in a, in a speech, Fred Rogers says, um, you know, when I say, when I say I love you just the way you are, what I mean is you do not have to do anything sensational for people to love you, you know? And so when I bring in Fred Rogers, I turn that around a little bit to describe this as us because they don't do anything sensational for us to witness the presence mm. of love, you know? And so, and that's how I enter into my book. And so my book is basically, I've acknowledged in 2020, I acknowledge it as an apocalypse in that the word apocalypse means revelation, right? And no one can deny that a lot of shit is being shown to us these days, the good, the bad, the ugly, and the real fucked up, right? And so- Oops. But this book itself, my intention, like, and if I could talk, if I could be so bold as to mention what my intention was for this book, like, I really, by the end of it, when all is said and done, after you've read both essays, my thank you section, and my final poem that I slide in at the end, there is a resounding silence that is not a violence in you, right? There is something there has been a shifting or a stirring that something has happened in some way that is leading you even more so into peace, right? Mm. And the, the reason it's called birthing pains is like, because that peace is, is also what happens after this, this painful, birthing process we're going in through like going through right and there's so many little births that happen like there's like you know the birthing the release of like the pain and the grief from years before right like you've got you've got like all of these different there's blood involved it's a bloody situation you know what i mean it's spilled blood right for the sake of life but spilled blood you know yeah. but in the midst of that is a beautiful born baby right mm. in the midst of that is life and like and like but it is not that thing but it is in the midst of that thing because that is what we truly desire and that is the gold of it all right the title of the the title of the essay is called the the first essay is called the buck begins here 
right? Mm-hmm. Um, and it's and it speaks to, back to that horse, this bucking horse, right? And it's like acknowledging that even if the peace doesn't come, there will be a bucking that begins, right? Like mm-hmm. like there's like uh, uh like oh wait, what is happening? Oh wait, like oh I never thought of that. Like okay, but now now you look around and you're like oh shit, like you know what I mean? The buck begins here, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so um. But like, so, and I begin with the book, right? In the sense of saying, um, be a black person, they said, uh, was written in your workshop, actually. Most of these poems actually were written in your workshop. I forgot to Be a black person, they said. So you said this poem struggles with what it means to be black in a world that always has something to say about it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so I definitely did. Can I just read that poem? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, because I, because yes. So, um, as I said, I wrote this in your workshop, Jen. And it, I, another thank you because I stumbled upon a fountain of rage that I didn't know still lived in me. Mm. And um, just to add context, like we were shown that one video, be a woman, they said, and you asked us, right, be a blank, they said. And mine was be a black person. At first it was just like, oh yeah, that's something that always, people are always trying to quantify for me or qualify what that means, whether black or white. And so uh, then I started writing this and uh, this was, yeah, all written in that time. So be a black person, they said. How could you not have eaten chitlins? How many times have you seen Friday? How could you not listen to the bump, the groove, the fucking fuck of drugs and sex and oppression? How could you not want to smell the scent of oppression on your breath when you wake up in the morning, knowing you have been speaking it in your sleep as you've been consuming it in your life? How could you not speak like this or walk like that or talk like so? How could you be so strange, so weird, so off, so white? It's like you don't possess any color in you. It's like you don't cradle your pain and all this generational PTSD we got like a newborn baby instead of the ancient evil it is. It's like you don't coddle your pride for the past sake. How black are you really? Oh, you ain't ready to fight, to bust, to clap back. You ain't ready to be depraved in the face of all of this depravity. Fight fire with fire and increase the burn. You ain't ready to go all Australia on they ass and burn this motherfucker down. Be black. It's more than a pigment. It's a personage, a personhood, an identity handed down by our oppressors and rebranded by us because we couldn't get nothing better, nothing truer. So yeah, we walk with a limp. Call us Israel. We got these. We got our blessings from wrestling these faux gods who confused white skin for the white light of kingdom come. We hit the streets, call it a game, forever allowing the glass ceiling to be our father's sky, be more black like us rather than the divine darkness from which we come, rather than black like it was before the Big Bang, rather than the source of creation like the soil and the sea, rather than the true understanding of what it is to be held within and then exposed when we open our mouths. Pause. Pause. You know I spit fire on the mic, right? But it isn't hellfire, spitting fear and poison into the ears of those who have chosen to listen. Nah, nah, this shit is holy fire. And I ain't for hire, ain't bending to the will of no man or mortal baby. You wouldn't even understand where I come from. Be black, you say. <laughs> Do you even know what blackness be? Or whiteness for that matter? 
What do you know of yin and yang, masculine and feminine? What do you know of ancient songs we were born to sing again? What do you know of the true fire that burns within and how it forges paths no man can understand with a divisive brain and a dull ass heart? Be black, you cry. <laughs> what do you know of darkness? What do you know of the motherland stolen by false fathers? Parasites who didn't know no better and so didn't do nothing right? What do you know of true kings, young prince, and where divinity really dwells? Where do you find your healing green? From the mother? Or from a patriarchal system forged in the hells of our greed? Father God, let them see the blood we bleed through our light. That divine root that grounds us into true sight. Be black, you tell me. All right, all right. But if I told you the truth, you turn away in fright. Coddle your baby that is not and suckle the tit of a system that is born to rot. And they want me to teach this shit. A history that knew truth not. Shit, man, I'll be black, all right, and rebel. I'll be black, all right, and bring true birth to light. I'll finally do away with this repetitive hell. I'll teach what happens in a mother's womb. I'll teach how a seed bursts and miraculously grows from pod to tree. I'll teach of all the things that have been left unseen, downtrodden, some would say. But I'd say planted. There are plenty of true Blacks who don't have dark skin. Plenty of true hearts growing where the light of the world does not pierce in. For it is only the light of life that can understand this mystery of the blackness within. So yeah, that poem, as you can see, uh, I stumbled upon this fountain of rage over the over the time that it, I've aged as since this poem has been written. I don't possess that rage as much anymore when I read it, but it still it taught me that there is a place for divine anger at God's table. And this is an anger that doesn't cast out, but calls in, right? Mm -hmm. And so and so that was what I stumbled upon when writing this because I have been struck when I realized that, that the system in which we fight, we uphold, right? Mm -hmm. And this mm -hmm. is true for the Black liberation, female, like women's liberation, feminist movement, like all of these things, because... What we do is we double down on what we've been given and learn to identify it as our own, right? Mm -hmm. So for instance, you want to take rap music, right? Where all you hear now is like gun sex, hoes, blah, 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 blah. But rap originally stood for rhythm and poetry, right? Yeah. And it was, and it was, and it was the purpose of it. They utilized it in order to inculcate the, the, the hood with good messages that would help to rebuild the familial structures and the sense of community in the, in the hood, in the ghetto, right? And then music companies got a hold of the power that rap music had and they were like, oh, yeah, and they, and they probably weren't thinking like, oh, let's bring the, like, if, to be very honest, they probably weren't like, we're going to keep them down. They were like, how can we make money off of this? And mm -hmm. so they were like, well, if they're weak, because that's it, that's all you need. All you need is weak people who don't know that they can provide for themselves and then tell them that you can provide for them. And then, you know, you've got a great toxic relationship. And so, so like, so they, they handpicked which artists 
would be heard on the radio, which got signed to record labels, right? right? And then those are the artists that were given back to the black community, uh, the com- black community and the he- the hood and stuff on the mainstream, right? Mm-hmm. And that, and you want to talk about appropriation of black music? A lot of people want to say when white people are rapping, that's appropriation. No, how about the whole damn thing, right? The whole mm-hmm. damn way that we think about like rap and stuff like that right so like so for me when i hear these things because like i can listen in my spirit and be like yeah no this is not something i want i subscribe to to uh, i don't subscribe to addictive tendencies i don't subscribe to like lustral behaviors that objectifies people i don't subscribe to this i don't subscribe to this and you're mad at me for that no right this has nothing Mm -hmm. to do with being black this has everything to do with thinking that being black is the same as being oppressed and not acknowledging that that's the link that you're tying it to what I do really want to know is how you how you came to writing, how you came to poetry in the first place, like uh, with all of the power behind your words, like how did you show up here? Uh, that's dope. I love that question. Um, so <laughs> I started writing poetry when I was 10, 10 uh, year old baby, just like in right in. But then in seventh grade, my sister Sophia committed suicide. And I was devastated. She was my favorite person in the world. She was also my godmother. So like, um, I was devastated. And at some point in class, we read Maya Angelou's Still I Rise. Mm -hmm. And after reading Still I Rise, for some reason, my heart was like rising. And I was like, oh, shit poetry does this once you see the light and you hear the message and you feel the calling you can't yeah, ignore yeah, it yeah but yeah, I, yeah i know that for some reason yeah, i feel reason, uh, uh, so i was like oh shit i want to do that shit like that's the shit i want that's when i started rapping right because i used to rap in middle school that's where missy yeah. came from. um so <laughs> um Missy T. Uh, yeah. <laughs> um, so, uh, so I started rapping and I would rap like, like the principal would ask me to rap messages about like, um, like bullying or things like this or suicide. Like I once remember to rap about suicide and not bullying people because it can lead to that and all this stuff. And it makes it human. Mm. It makes it a human thing. Like Maya Angelou, I saw her speak once when I was in college and she said like, like, you know, don't be ever af- afraid of or in awe of any human being. Because what one human can do, so can you, because we're all human. Melissa, you're the best friend I wish I could have had in high school. Like, I feel like I'm finding people I should have been friends with my whole life. Like, these are the type of people that I want in my world. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. I think that that is a holy, holy thing that's happening. Like, I know it's going to work and I know it's like, and it's neat and it's going to work because it's necessary. Um, mm-hmm. It has to, mm-hmm. right? It's going toward because it has to mm-hmm. work. Because um, this is what we're doing here and what we're doing in other aspects and areas of our lives is exactly what is needed right now and what people mm-hmm. are crying and calling out for. And we are the answer to prayers. So like, um, hallelujah. I love y'all. Love you, <laughs> Melissa. Love you too. Oh my God. You have been an absolute, you're just a gift to this world. Thank you for everything. You too. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. such an enormous energy in this world, like a bright light, such a 
truly talented human being. Yes. Um, Melissa, I feel, is one of the people that's been placed in my life uh, as a teacher for me. Um, I I just listen very intently with everything she has to say and share. And um, I just, I always glean something from it. I feel like she's a, she's on some kind of path and mm-hmm. I'm here for it. Yeah. I love going. I love going to the church of Melissa. That's for sure. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> well, and we got incredible praise from her. So I kind of feel validated in a way uh, that I have not felt yet because, um, you know, she gave us some incredible compliments about what we we're doing and, uh, and how it's important and how it's going to succeed. And um, I like that kind of affirmation. So. Yeah, truly. I know we're lucky and I'm so grateful. Um, thank you all for being here for this latest edition of Confessing Animals podcast. I'm Jen Harris. And I'm Vanessa Arico. We'll see you next time. Bye guys.